Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Time we're in this series on hope, uh, which is obviously a pretty critical thing right now, and thinking through this idea of hope and what it means. Last week we looked at talking about how to grow our hope. Um, this morning, I want to uh, really dive in on this issue. We sang that song, which is one of my favorites, Jesus is our living hope. And what do we mean by that? What do we mean by Jesus is our living hope? And we're going to be in First Peter, first nine verses this morning. So I just encourage you to turn there. I have it up on the screen, actually, this morning, because we're going to kind of walk through um, each of these verses this morning and just talk through this. In the sense, I think these are the most powerful, you know, set of verses that really drill down and define for us what it means to have hope in Jesus. What do we mean by Jesus is our hope? Uh, this is uh, some, there's so much packed into these nine verses. So I just encourage you to follow along. I encourage you, as always, to take notes and to uh, dive in throughout the week and have God really refresh and, and strengthen you through his word. Um, this morning. So this idea of Jesus is our hope. So not only that, but what I hope to accomplish this morning through these verses and through obviously the, hopefully the spirit moving in his word with us is how do I restore? If I'm struggling with hope, if I'm struggling with really understanding Jesus is my rock and my foundation and my hope, how do I restore that? What does it look like? What are the things I need to be thinking through and aware of when it comes to really um, looking at my faith and hope. Faith and hope are integrated together. My, my hope can't rise if my faith doesn't rise. They, they grow together, obviously, um, as we pursue the Lord and walk with Him in relationship. So with that said, I'm going to dive right in this morning. Follow along with me. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Then we're going to step back in and break this, uh, break this down this morning. Um, before I do read, though, let me just give a little background. 1 Peter... Obviously written by the Apostle Peter, the head of the, uh, uh, of the Twelve as such. And he, um, most likely, most scholars believe he wrote this. As we're going to see, he addresses it to churches in the uh, area of uh, modern-day Turkey. Um, and he most likely wrote this from prison when he was in Rome. And uh, we'll tag that here in a minute as we get in. But uh, later in Peter's life, he was taken. And we, we know uh, that it tells us later on that he was crucified and uh, died for, as a martyr, martyr's death in, um, in Rome. And it was right around this time that he read this. It was somewhere bef right before Nero's reign over emperor, right before the real big breakout of persecution against the church um, in Rome. And he wrote this as an encouragement, kind of preparing the way, as we're going to see here, as far as faith being tested and the genuineness of our faith, um, looking at this. So um, that's kind of the context here, him writing to the church. Um, so here we go. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, unspeakable, and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of God. Man, there's a lot in here. So I'm gonna just kind of walk through this uh, and hopefully just encourage us with this idea of what does this mean that Jesus is our living hope? What was Peter trying to get o- o- um, off to the church and for us to take and, and to heed and understand? One little note just to remember, when you read the scriptures, you need to, and it says you, there needs to be this dual thing going on is that all of these yous are plural. It's to you, the church. When, when Peter wrote this, it was to those churches that we read. It was to the you plural. Um, obviously, that's you personal. But sometimes I think we over-individualize our expression here and to realize, and this is really important throughout the entire New Testament, that we will never step into the full expression of what Scripture says if we don't do both of those, the you personal and the you corporate. Does that make sense? Because we're highly individualized. We read very, this is what this means for me. That's important, but never outside the context, what does this mean for us? And the reason I say that is because, again, this idea of gathering and being the church together is that our sanctification, our growth, our experience of worship with God is never in the scripture to be just an individual experience. That is kind of the American Christian way. I believe it's one more thing that God is stirring up to realize is that this is a corporate faith. We cannot come into the expression of everything that God has for us alone. There must be intimate, growing fellowship for these things to take place, okay? So that should change the trajectory of how we read. Remember, in the early church, they didn't have the written word. It was a letter, and so it was read. So it was an oral tradition, and and we soaked it in together, and we talked about it, right, with one another, processed it together. It was always in the breaking of bread together as a church gathered around the word of God to to expect the Holy Spirit to move in supernatural ways right, in bringing alive the promises of God. So with that, let's dive in here. Peter, it says, Apostle of Jesus Christ, he addresses um, this group as elect exiles. Now, what does that mean? And um, uh, <clears throat> so just a little history here is technical language here in the New Testament uh, was used, this idea of dispersia, uh, the dis- diaspora, maybe you've heard that fancy word, In other words, that technically addresses the Jewish people who were dispersed throughout the world. All through the Old Testament, we see when Israel uh, rejected Scripture and and that God, he, he warned them with prophets. And then what happened? If they didn't repent, if they didn't come back to God, is they were dispersed. A nation would come in like Babylon, take them into exile. And we see the whole 
northern kingdom of Israel in the Old Testament was taken, was dispersed, and yet has been regathered, has not been regathered yet. And so technical language um, for Israel was used as this, this dispersion. But what Peter is doing, and again, most scholars believe, and, and we don't have time to get into the details of this, but this is obviously written to the church. So this is also Gentiles, not just Jewish believers. And here's what's important to understand is that um, the gospel is given to anyone by faith who received Jesus. So what, what uh, Paul makes very clear in his language is that we're not a follower, we're not in the family of God just because of our heritage. He made this real clear to the Jewish people, just because you are a biological child of Abraham does not make you a child of God. It is by faith. And this is what Romans tells us that we're grafted in. Is those of us who are Gentiles who come by faith to Jesus, we're grafted into the full family of God under, now here's what's real important, under all of the blessings of God, under all of the covenant blessings that were given to Israel is those who by faith in Jesus were brought in. Second Corinthians 1 says, all of God's blessings are yours in Christ Jesus. They're all yes, right? And so here, what this means in the sense of this diaspora of, of uh, Jews is what Peter's making clear to the church is there is this same expression, the fullness of this that the church has and should be fulfilling, right, which being spread out. And these two words, chosen, elect, also exile, should define a growing, maturing church and believer is to better understand what those things mean for us. And to understand that the church itself is that God, now the mission of the church is spread out. And again, um, Derek led us in understanding this last Friday. We started this 10 days between Rosh Hashanah, the new Hebrew New Year, and then the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, right? Which is another one of the great feasts. Folks, Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts perfectly, right? In the springtime, starting with Passover, ending with Pentecost, Again, we talked last Sunday about the perfect, uh, there, there, it's, it's miraculous, right? In history, this is one of the most amazing things possible that Jesus, how did he pull that off? Dying exactly on Passover. And then the next four feasts fulfilled perfectly. And then there's this big break over uh, for several months before the last three feasts. The first one, Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, same thing, begins and began last week. Right, so if you have Jewish friends, you can say, Rasha, Happy New Year to them. They're in the midst of preparing these 10 days leading up to the Day of Atonement, which will be right back here on the 28th on Monday to worship and, and, uh, and pray together for our nation and the church. Um, <clears throat> what's important, I, I want us to understand, is that uh, Jesus fulfilled the first four. And historically in the scripture, we see that there's a gap now. And the scriptures tell us that we're in the times of the Gentiles. We're in the church age now where God, through his promises, has dispersed his people to go to what? Every tongue, tribe, and nation with the good news of Jesus so that the grace of God might manifest around all the world that everyone from every tongue, tribe, and nation would have an opportunity to receive the goodness of God, the blessings of God. And that uh, the next thing that happens in God's calendar is the Feast of Trumpets. It's, it's Rosh Hashanah. And we see all through scripture, it's with the trumpet call that Jesus returns, right? To come and bring, right? The fullness to the renewal of this creation, new Jerusalem down to this earth and, right? Calling his people out to 
um, to live in this renewed earth in eternity and experience the fullness of our salvation and ever, all the blessings right, that come with that. Now, back to these two words um, to understand this idea of how does this connect with hope is, folks, for us to grow in our hope, for us to be growing in that Jesus is our living hope, these two things must grow. First, we must understand that we are chosen, that we are elect. You must understand that out of the universe that God came down and he, he sovereignly chose you, that he put his hand of blessing on you, he illuminated you, he put in your heart some longing, some desire, some, some need for God, some drawing, wooing you to his heart. And that this, this word is throughout the Old and New Testament, such a beautiful word, chosen, elect. Another one is this Hebrew word we talked about in the past, segula, which is we are his prized possession, his precious possession. We are his children. We are called personally and loved, right, by our heavenly father. Hope cannot grow unless inside our hearts, our identity as a child of God, no longer an orphan, lost in this world, not knowing if, if we belong to, to God, where is God, but that this, uh, this growth, of understanding who we are in him, the love of our heavenly father for us. His affection for us. Just like when Jesus was baptized, heaven opened up and the father's words. If Jesus needed the affirmation of his father's pleasure over him and the father's love over him, how much more do we? And I'm telling you, nothing blocks our movement towards hope and our movement towards spiritual growth like a block when it comes to questioning our father's love for us. That will block this movement more than anything else. So what Peter is saying, as well as so much of the scripture, is church, remember who you are. Remember you were chosen, loved by your father. You were a child of God, no longer lost in this world. By his sovereign loving hand, you are his. And the next one is you're in exile. And folks, part of a spiritual maturity is more and more as we grow in this life, there should be this growing sense, I don't belong here. This is, this is not my world. A less and less a focus on my inheritance, what I'm building in this life, is more and more a desire. Lord, your inheritance, you're bringing something new to this world. Is I'm, I'm longer, and again, all the world, um, words used in the Old Testament, New Testament for sojourners, exiles, um, that we don't belong here. We see this language of God's people uh, all through the scripture. And I can't grow in hope for God is my living hope, Jesus, my living hope, unless I start to what? Come, Lord Jesus. My heart is more for him and what he's renewed to this earth and more for his work to be done rather than my hope in this world. And again, we're in the midst of this move in our culture, right, of, of understanding. And folks say, uh, this is another thing that God is doing right now is he's reframing inside the church. He is, uh, I would say, fleshing out from his church a overemphasis on political change rather than gospel change. Let me tell you, if your hope is in political change, you're going to find yourself without any living hope, period, plain and simple. Political change has never brought the peace of God, and it never will. Doesn't mean we're not involved. Doesn't mean we're not good citizens. What it means is where's the foundation of my hope? We're exiles, and there is no real shalom or peace in this world until Jesus brings it back. Mankind can never bring shalom. Mankind can never bring those things to this, to this earth. And so those two things need to be growing. My identity, my shoring up who I am as a father's child and under his inheritance, which we're going to get to here in a minute. And also the growing sense of this is, not, this is not the way the world should be. 
in mankind, no matter how smart we are, no matter our technology or anything else, we cannot bring transformation. We cannot bring what needs to be, that only God can bring, right, to this, to this world, okay? The next verse is here. It's amazing, verse 2. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for a sprinkling with his blood. <laughs> what does all that mean? That's some heavy-duty stuff. I just want to point out a couple things. Folks, that is your Trinitarian God at work for you. We cannot grow in our hope for Jesus unless there is a growing sense of intimacy and growth and understanding who our Heavenly Father is, who our Savior Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is experiencing the fellowship and the growth of the Holy Spirit's power in our life. Without understanding that we have this amazing one God, three persons who are in perfect love and community, and he were invited into that. And that it is this expression of the Father's love, sending his Son after us to save us, and it's this Son's grace poured out for us on the cross, right? Um, that we are to receive and step into the salvation with him and walk with him and follow him in discipleship. And then the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God actually to come into our temple now and restore and transform us and that this is the God we worship. This is the God that we will see Jesus right now as the right hand of the Father in resurrected body, the Father in untouchable, glorious light, and the Holy Spirit who connects us in this glorious fellowship. This must come alive if my hope is going to grow. And unfortunately, many of us have grown up in Christian traditions where you have only heard about one aspect, whether it's Jesus, you know, and this aspect of knowing Jesus, or maybe it's the Father and those kind of things, or maybe it's just the Spirit. It must be all of that, right, if we're going to grow um, in God. And I love this statement here. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's kind of my new my new thing is, like, wow, don't we know this? What if we just encourage each other with that all day long? Hey, may the grace of God, may the peace of God be multiplied in your life. May grace be multiplied. May shalom be multiplied in your life. What a beautiful encouragement, right, in prayer, just living under that reality, right, to, to know that for hope to rise, um, we have to understand and receive and understand and live under the grace of God, and we must live and understand what it means to live under the shalom of God. Folks, we live in chaotic times. Shalom, peace is the opposite of chaos. Shalom comes in and wipes darkness and chaos out. And this is the whole world history is moving towards this clash of the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of God. The kingdoms of the world are built on chaos and darkness, right? And the kingdoms of God is coming in with shalom to bring again to our life, this is salvation, individually as well as corporately, and then this world, shalom and peace again, right, to, to the earth. And our hope is intimately tied, right, to those two things growing, right, inside our heart. It says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope. Let me just stop and, and talk about mercy. Folks, for hope to rise, I have to grow. I have to be more and more overwhelmed by the mercy of God. And what does mercy mean? Mercy means this. We aren't getting what we deserve. We're not getting what we deserve. And folks, here's the deal. This is where, man, there's such a dividing line in our culture today. Our culture, for years and years, has been, have been just this statement that you're good. You're good. You can pull up your bootstraps. You're good. 
That's not the message of the Bible. It's not the message of Jesus. You'll find it nowhere where Jesus says, here, hey, you're, you're all good. You know what he says? He says, you're lost. I'm lost. I'm in darkness. I'm alienated from God. I'm a sinner. I'm in desperate need of redemption. I'm just like the prodigal son. I'm off trying to find self-redemption, and I'm just getting dirtier and dirtier and more lost and more lost until redemption comes. Until I see the incredible mercy of God that he sent his son to come after me and, and he, he sent his spirit to open my heart to, to long for him again like the prodigal who was at the end of his rope and he turned back to the father. In all of our lives, salvation comes at some point we turn back to God and with a, with a, a sense of desperation, God, I can't do it, but you can and folks, there's a clash in our culture right now. And even in the church, when it comes to really preaching the fullness of the gospel, of our lostness and the world's lostness in the desperate need we have for the mercy of God, the glory of mercy, folks. His great mercy is we are not getting, nor will we get what we deserve, which the scripture says is judgment. It's to stand before God and give an account for all I've said and done. Folks, the glory of the good news is by faith, we can receive, we, we receive his mercy. And it's poured out through Jesus, right, for us. And it's through that great mercy of sin to even, Romans tells us, even while we were sinners, even while we were running from God, is that God's love came after us and he sent his son to come and die for us, even in that state of lostness. And to draw us right back into him. And folks, living hope, I, it, it <laughs> I mean, this hits so many different levels of this thing happening in our culture, but folks, there is no hope without the mercy of God, without the goodness of the gospel. There is no hope unless I understand and come to that place that God, I can't, nor can the world, nor can political um, activism, nor can social justice, nor can any of that accomplish shalom only when hearts are changed by the gospel of Jesus. Are those things going to Come back. Only then is there a hope in, in, in not what mankind can do, but only what in God can do as the Spirit moves through the hearts of people right, to bring about His goodness and change. Does that make sense, gang? Are you tracking with me? And so this idea of a living hope, folks, I mean, it says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it's a living hope. Why do we call it living? It's because Jesus is living. He is. He, the person of Jesus, is our living hope. That is him. It's relationship with him. He is our hope. It's relationship with him. He's living. He defeated the power of sin. He defeated the power of death. And folks, let me tell you, nothing can really change. Every, every possible thing we could ever dream about is possible if those two things are defeated. This is why mankind, we can't solve anything in this world because we have no ability to address the sin of mankind that has always been there in the history of the world, always will, until Jesus comes back and makes it all right. And nothing, no real hope, there can be no hope until we have the assurance that the power of death is defeated. And that I know that I no longer am going to be held by, by death, but that is defeated and that, that, man, we have a living hope, the assurance of, of, an, of eternal life with him, the blessings of God. And folks, oh, how people need to hear that today. But I, but I ask you to think about this. Why, why, and, and this is what I, one of the many, many things I struggle with. Where's that today? Where's the longing? When's the last time somebody talked to you about their great need for God? 
When's the last time, even in your own heart, that you're just overwhelmed with redemption? Where in our culture today is there the growing need, the sense of God, I, I want to be right with you. I, I, I want to, I need you. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I, I need to know that I'm right with you. The need for redemption. There is a veil. Scripture says the enemy puts a, a blinder on, on us that we just go about life. And even with all the stuff going on now, right now is, boy, it's still a little bit, of, little bit of coming forth, a little bit of good conversation, a little bit of a longing for, man, what... What, what is hope? What is my position before God? But let me just lay this out for us, folks. The reason we have calamities is not because God is an evil God. And so when somebody talks to you and say, well, if God was there, if he was really a loving God, why would he allow COVID? Why would he allow all the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the fires? Let's go down the list. The locusts in Africa. I mean, well, let's just, everything. Why would he allow those things? Let me tell you, here's how we respond. That's out of the love and the mercy of God. Because when God's people harden, when people uh, if any nation harden their hearts, what does God do? He turns up the fires we're going to see. Because the only way we get comfortable, we all do. We know what it's like. We get comfortable in our routine life. We get comfortable in our normal, whatever that is. And we don't want to be just, you know, nudged out of it. And the reason the calamities happen, folks, it's to wake up. It is a gracious act of God. So that people will hopefully turn up and say, God, rather than try to strive and make sense out of everything and try to fix it. Like if, if your hope is in, a is in a vaccine, that's not hope. It's in a God, right? Because let me tell you, I, I don't want to be a downer, but there's a lot worse coming than COVID. A lot worse. And we see in the history, all through the history, we know what God's going to do because he's done it before, right? When Israel did not repent, when they didn't get what God wanted, when they didn't respond to God, what did he do? He just notched it up, notched it up. And the reason that's not, it, it is because of his justice, but primarily it's because, come on, what is it going to take? What is it going to take in America? The wealthiest, most affluent people who've ever walked on the planet. I'm going to say that again. That's us. We are the most affluent, wealthy people to ever walk on this planet. We are so consumed by our comforts and our pride of thinking we can solve issues through our technology and everything else. What is it going to take? And I'm going to just speak about the church, for the American church to wake up and get our hearts right with God again. And see the glory of the gospel and our incredible need for redemption, for the cross, for the resurrection, for Jesus. He is our living hope. And we talk about a relationship, that's it. It's, it's my hope is in him. It's what he's done for me. It's where he's at right now at the right hand of God. Romans 8 says he's interceding for us now. He's waiting for us and he's like, come on church, come on family, get to work. Get to work, be agents of light in this dark, chaotic world, right? Because I'm coming back. And he goes on, and listen to this. This is amazing. Verse 4 um, says this. He saved us to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. God has an inheritance for you. How often do you think about that? 
He has an inheritance for us. Your heavenly father has an eternal inheritance for you. And it's going to be rolled out at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And folks, this inheritance, it's un, uh, these words, I don't even have time to go into it. It's imperishable. It's eternal. It's undefiled. It cannot be stolen or corrupted. It's pure. Wow. It's unfading. It's glorious. That is just a little bit about what he, and it's kept in heaven for you. It's kept. You, you don't see it yet. Faith requires me to put my eyes on that inheritance to work to work for that inheritance. Not earning, but showing great effort. And there's a big difference, folks. No one can earn salvation. That's a grace, a free gift of God. But you know what? We're called to show incredible effort. Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation, church, with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you. Work it out. The majority of our salvation, it is not coming to us until he, can, he returns. And so my inheritance, my, my whole framework, if I'm going to have hope in Jesus, if I'm going to really grow in hope, I need to have this radical transformation of a, a shift in my understanding of what inheritance is all about off of earthly inheritance onto my eternal inheritance from my heavenly father. Now, here's the deal. When was the last time you heard a story about inheritance going well? How about in your own family? Do you have some great inheritance stories? Did that go real well with all the kids and all the generations? Did that go well? There are few and far between, okay? Few and far between. And here's the deal. Until we make this shift, until, my, until our passion and our focus and my attention is set on my eternal inheritance, regardless of my earthly inheritance, right? Until that happens, hope cannot rise, and if I get my eyes on my earthly inheritance, and folks, let's just be honest, we're all there. We've all been there. We're all in, been in we, we've all experienced the, you know, focus on what I will get maybe versus this or that, right? I mean, it's ugly, right? And folks, it is some of the ugliest ripping apart families and generations and everything else unless, and so here's my two things for us in this process. One is a father but as a parent or a mother, grandmother, grandfather, is the question I have to answer is what inheritance am I really giving my children? What one am I really working for? Would my children be able to stand on this stage today and would they be able to articulate the inheritance that I have developed to give them? Because let me tell you, if I'm just working for a physical inheritance, if that's what I give my children, guess what? What we've seen it will be destructive. We live in a town of trust funders. We live in a town, how many times does that go well? Without a spiritual inheritance leading the way and couching and defining the material inheritance, let me tell you what will happen is the destruction of the generations will take place and hope will be killed, okay? And uh, we have to ask our question, the, our, ourselves a very deep question here. What inheritance am I living for? And all through the scripture, Jesus says, I don't even have a house. I don't, I don't have a place to lay my head. Come follow me. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing well and having inheritance and leaving inheritance to our children. Um, but I'm telling you right now, where's the priority? What am I working for? What consumes me? What consumes my thinking? This also radically impacts our whole understanding of retirement. And the church has failed in discipleship in creating and giving off to the generations a healthy idea of how to grow old and die well. 
What's happening, we left a void there. What happens in the void? The culture steps in with this idea of American dream of retirement. And let me tell you, it's absolute bondage because it is a complete focus on earthly inheritance that is fading. It's perishable. It is defiled. It's not glorious. And so, man, if I want hope, I, I have to have this radical shift in my, in my heart of, Lord, I, I can't wait. I'm gonna, I can't wait. I want to, let me live for that inheritance, Father. Hope. And he goes on. Does that make sense, gang? Yeah. Inheritance? That's deep water, isn't it? That's convicting, isn't it? Hope. Living hope, folks. And I believe it's, one, it's some, another thing God is big time doing right now in the church. You know, reading, weeding out this consumer idea of Christianity. Weeding out this, this idea of, hey, what I need, what I'm getting. Right? And a shift vertically as far as who I have. Who I have. And what comes with him. Right? So, um, the next verse here, verse Five says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow. Why does my faith have to be, have to be guarded? It's because there's a war going on, folks. There's a war going on in the spiritual realm for our faith. And, and the evil forces want to kill our faith and replace it with what? Fear. And folks, look at, look at man, look at the fear today. Look at the fear. Folks, let me tell you right now, when it comes to hope, every, when calamity starts happening, if, you, if, there's, if there's no faith, there's only one other option, fear. And it can be really, really traumatic, right? And it affects everything, how we treat one another and all of those things, right? But it must be guarded. It says, for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Folks, again, just like I said, remember, we're to work out our salvation. It, many of us have grown up in a scenario, hey, walk the aisle, say a prayer, you're a Christian, or I went to church, I went to you know, um, confirmation or whatever it is, is. Let me tell you, none of that makes us a Christian. You know that? This is what God's restoring, the fullness of the gospel. What makes us a Christian is, am I walking with a genuineness of faith that stood the test of time and faithfulness to God? And will I be able to stand when Jesus returns before him? And will my faith bring forth glory and honor and praise because of my working out? And I saw it as the most precious thing. And this is the next verse. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold and perishable things, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't, faith is, is, is not really faith until it's been tested. It's not genuine until it has been worked out. And so this idea we've given in, in the gospel in America that, hey, if you just profess, you're saved, you're in. You just walk out, you're just in. That is, you find that nowhere in scripture over and over again. They say, have you walked and are you continuing to be faithful to what God has said? And are we going to be able to stand? And is it genuine? And has my faith been refined? And folks, here's the big thing for hope is I can't grow in hope unless I see my faith, my relationship with Jesus as the most precious thing to me. Nothing more precious. And folks, that should go on down the line. It should be the case for my wife. The most precious thing that, that I hope for Michelle is the preciousness of her faith with Jesus. 
and flowing down to our children, there should be nothing I, I, I'm consumed with more or I talk about more, nothing I should be more prideful about than the genuineness of their faith. They've made it their own. They're walking with him. As First John says, I have no greater joy in all the world, John says, than to know that my children are what? Walking in the truth. That's it. The genuineness, and that can't happen without tests, without hard times, and, and coming out of that test, that trial. Remember James, just go back one book. James tells us, count it joy, church, when you are tested, when your faith is put under, but why? It brings about perseverance. It really shows the genuineness of my faith. It brings out the fullness of my relationship and trust in Jesus, right? Verse eight and nine. Um, Getting these last two, I, I think everything leads up to a crescendo to these last two verses. To me, these are some of the most challenging verses in all of scripture. Personally, for me, these are life verses. And why I say this is because these verses challenge me at two sectors. One, they challenge me incredibly, my intellect, but they also challenge me experientially. And remember, to walk with God, we've got to have both. It can't be an intellectual faith. It can't just be an experiential faith. You've got to have both. You've got to have what? Truth and spirit, right? And this is what he says to the church. Church, though you've not seen him, you love him. This is Peter speaking to the church because, and think about it. They're, re they're reading it. And they're hearing it from Peter himself. And Peter's saying, I've seen him. I walked with him three and a half years. I was intimately close to him. I touched him. I saw him. I was taught by him. I, I saw him hang on the cross. I saw him suffer for us. I saw, I saw him that third day. I saw him in a resurrected body. I was with him 40 days in a resurrected body as he taught and opened my eyes to the word of God until he ascended to God. I saw him, church, but though you haven't seen him physically, you love him. It's proof of your hope. It's proof of your faith. Wow. Folks, affection. I asked you this morning, this is a word we don't use much anymore, but the depth of your soul, the depth of your heart. Very rarely do we in relationship get to this level, but I ask you, is the affection of your heart growing with your love of Jesus? Not just do you intellectually, yeah, I believe in God. Do you love him? Is your heart affectionate for him? Is there a wooing in your heart for him? Peter's defining the church, the church he's writing to. He saw this emotion in them, an experience. And he goes on, he says, though you don't see him now, what does he say? You believe in him. You trust him with everything. Now listen to the next part of this. And you rejoice, church, with joy unspeakable. What is that? If there's anything the church needs to restore today, it's that joy unspeakable. Filled with glory. This is normative Christianity. Filled with glory. What, is that? what does that mean? You know what that means? Challenges me to really get my heart. What does that mean? What were they experiencing? I'll tell you what they're experiencing. Filled with glory. Glory is the presence of God. And in the early church, when they met and gathered together, it said they were in awe. They were filled with glory. 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled and they, were, they knew when the presence of God was among them. And that was what was essential to when they gathered together was his presence. And it manifested in, in a radical, emotional, experiential way. Right inside them, filled with glory, joy unspeakable. Um, gang, I, I, boy, we have done such an injustice to talk about our emotions. And the church today has made the mistake to say things like it's okay not to be okay. No, you'll find that nowhere in scripture. The father sent the son because it's not okay to stay down and not this experience. He saved you, redeemed you so you would have joy unspeakable. So you'd be filled with the glory of God. And we have, we have watered this down and to say it's okay. Let me tell you, yes, we're depressed. Yes, we have bad days. Yes, we have bad desert seasons in our life. But there is never an excuse for a follower of Jesus. And you cannot have living hope unless we are pursuing God. Give me that joy unspeakable. Yes. I want to be filled with your glory. And let me tell you, this doesn't come by osmosis. It just doesn't come. It takes pursuit. Jesus says, we have not because we ask not. It takes pursuing God. In longing to fellowship with him, longing to not have church as normal. We're going to talk about that next week. No, no such thing as new normal. Church should never be normal. We should show up at church. There should never be. This is what happens. When we show up at church, you know, there should be this expectation uh, when we gather together that, wow, we don't know what's going to happen here this morning. We don't know how God is going to save, heal, deliver, encourage, strengthen. We just don't know. There should be this incredible buzz of, wow, What's going to happen when church becomes normal? It stops being church. When church is ritual and you know exactly what's going to happen, that is not church. You'll find no expression in scripture for that kind of church. You'll see the kind of expression in church. I could take you to 1 Corinthians right now. When they showed up, they didn't know what was going to happen. They longed for the presence of God, for the power of God to move among God's people and see God manifest. Does that make sense, gang? Joy unspeakable. Lord, we want your presence. We want your all right inside us. That's what we want, God. So, Derek, come on up. And I just want to end this time. Um, and there's so much more to say in those verses. Um, a living hope. Folks, hopefully that gives you some handles. Just to go back, read those verses. And Lord, and, and, and the reality is none of us are there. And I, so how do we begin this? How, how do I... Maybe you're here and you've never, well, I read those verses filled with glory and joy unspeakable, rejoicing with joy unspeakable. Maybe those are foreign things to you. If so, where do we begin? Lord, that's a promise. That's how you do, that's what you have for me. Please show me. Yeah. Holy Spirit, come, because you know what? You can do all your religious stuff. I can do all my religious stuff. None of it will get there. You, you, can, you can go through all spiritual to-do steps. You'll never, no one can manufacture that. It's a move of the presence of God. And one, I believe one of the main things that God is doing, I know I've said several things, but I believe one of the main things that God is doing during this time for the American church is restoring a love and priority on the presence of God among God's people rather than being conditioned about, worried about what other people are thinking. It's about Him. And his presence among us and longing for that. And he will bring joy unspeakable. He will unleash the filling of the glory. Remember, Jesus promised his followers streams of living water will flow out from you. Do you know what that's about? 
You know, I, I, none of us can experience the reality of that unless we're in hot pursuit of the Spirit of God. And we're longing, God, bring that overflow. Bring that overflow, right? And restore to the church a, a sense of, of our emotion, our entire being consumed by the joy of the Lord, right? So, Father, thank you for the, your word, Lord. Let us be faithful to hear it. Let us be faithful to pursue it, God. And, Lord, this is not something we just sit back and it happens, Lord. Great effort. Must. Spiritual effort. Not earning. Not earning salvation, Lord. That's only by your grace. That's freely received. But effort, Lord, in working it out. If we're going to experience these things, God, we've got to want it. That's where we begin. And Lord, I just pray for my own heart. Pray for all of our hearts. Lord, increase a desire for you. Increase a desire for the word and the truth of your word. Lord, please restore to your church. Joy unspeakable. Let that be the normative experience of your children, Lord. Again, Lord, like we see when we read your word. Overflow, Lord. Fill us with glory, God. Wow presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, now come. Bring encouragement now. Do what you're going to do, Lord, in each of our hearts, Lord. Speak to us. Jesus, you are our living hope. Lord, awaken us to that incredible reality. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.